Hello, uh, Finn here, the uh, host of Passport People. Just giving you a little notice about this episode. Uh, this, because we're very low tech, uh, each episode is pretty much recorded in the main uh, bits, well, the sort of kitchen area of the lovely house that I live in. And a few minutes in, I think about 20, 25 minutes in, my lovely flatmate, uh, who didn't notice that a recording was going on, set the washing machine going. So you will hear that in the background. You may hear a tiny piece of a conversation, but again, in the background of the main action that is going on. Um, and yeah, there may be some audio disturbances. It shouldn't affect you being able to hear the podcast, but it's just... A little bit annoying from my perspective because I'm a perfectionist with this sort of thing. So please enjoy Julia and her lovely thoughts on Puglia and yeah, enjoy the episode. So you know how in her Scarlett Johansson is basically the kind of voice in uh, Joaquin Phoenix's ear? Well, you're basically the same for the sake of this podcast, it's just that you are... Uh, a red speaker as opposed to a sort of, what is it they call it in that film? I don't remember. A, some sort of digital assistant thing. And welcome to Passport People, the podcast where we talk to people about the places that matter to them. I am your host, Finn, and today we are chatting to a lovely lady by the name of Julia. Hi, Julia. Hi, Finn. How are you? Very good, thanks. So for the listeners who have never met you, Julia, please tell us about you in whatever detail or lack of that you would like to go into it. So um, I'm Italian, um, I'm currently living in Milan, and uh, I'm a filmmaker. Nice, and you say you live in Milan, I know that this is a bit of a loaded question, but as we live in a society where we're constantly asked this question, where do you consider yourself from? Would you say that you were quite Milanese? Um, that's an interesting question. It depends where I am in the world and who asks me that question. So when I'm abroad, I say that I am from Italy, no doubt. Um, but when I'm in Italy, uh, I say I'm from the south of Italy. <laughs> I'm from Puglia. <laughs> so, but actually, when they ask me this question in Italy, um, I I answer that um, I don't feel Italian 100% because of my international background. So I have to go into details. That's a hard question. <laughs> it is a bit of a loaded question. And so with that all in mind and with your own background in mind, where are we talking about today? So today we're going to talk about Puglia.
So, Julia, where, for those of us not versed in Italian regional geography, is Puglia? Um, so if you imagine Italy as a boot, yeah. Puglia is the heel of this boot. Ah, the boot. <laughs> Do you, as an Italian, I, I'm always curious about this. Do you get annoyed when people refer to the shape of Italy as the boot or are you just kind of used to it or do you find it Honestly, an amazing no, way to think about it or no one has ever mentioned it to me uh, I'm usually the one who um, who talks about this to help people um, um, imagine where places in Italy are I reference it as a boot <laughs> so like the the heel of the boot or the 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 top of the boot, stuff like that. <laughs> this is the high bit of the boot. It's quite appropriate, I guess, that Milan, where you live, is is literally at that kind of the kind of clip bit of the exactly boot, where the, it kind of you know, where the, yeah, where the, the zip, height. where the zip's gone up to, and then you kind of buckle it in so you're all good to go. Um, and on the in the context of Milan, actually, um, you have a very diverse cultural background. You, you sold yourself a little short, I think, in, in the sort of introduction bit, but uh, from my knowledge of you, you have lived in Hong Kong, you uh, recently completed your university degree in Bournemouth, you have done an amazing amount of travel, you have such a, a diverse cultural background, and on top of that you live in Milan, which is one of the biggest international cities in the world. Why have you ultimately chosen to talk about Puglia? Um, I chose to talk about Puglia because, as you said, I've been living in many places in the world, but what's been constant in all my life is this place. Uh, so as I've traveled the world, um, a, a constant place is Puglia because every year I, I go back there. Um, so that's the place I feel most close to. So you have, you have extended family who you still go and visit there? Yes, all of my family is from there and the majority of my family still lives there. So that's the place I go to, to meet with my family. So like grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins are all, are all pretty much still in that region, is that right? Exactly. That's amazing. And so when you go back, you do you tend to see all of them or do you tend to only see a selection of them? Or how does how does your typical family reunion process work? Mm, so typically I go back there during the Christmas holidays and summer holidays. So in Christmas, I usually meet with my family from the Dutch side. So that's my grandma, uncles, uh, cousins. And when I have more time, uh, we go visit uh, the other part of the family because they're all spread up uh, in, uh, in Puya. Puya is a long region, so it takes some time to go to a place to the other. And your family are all spread out across the two different parts of the region? Yes, I've got one, uh, one part of the family at the north and the other part in the center. 
Wow. How, just to get a context as to the size of the region, how long would you say it would take? If it's, if it's long, I'm imagining that's north to south. How long approximately would it take to go from the northern part all the way down to the southern part? It would take uh, maybe four hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's fairly big. Yeah, because it's, it's long and thin. So, yeah, it takes time. That's amazing. And just to, to gain a bit of a bit of context, so all your family are from that region. Why was it ultimately to kind of go back a little bit in your family history that your family chose to leave? Was it opportunities that were there or was it uh, things that came up? Well, yeah, because your yeah your 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 parents ultimately did leave Puglia. I mean, they then travelled the world, as as we've kind of already touched upon. But what was it that that made them leave? Like, do you think do you think that they were young and grew up there, and so ultimately had this desire to leave, or do you think they would have stayed if they could have? Or so it's very common in the south of Italy at university time that students who can afford to they leave to the north. So um, it's like one of the main aspirations to go to university in Milan or Turin, to the north, basically. So that's what my parents did. They both left to Milan to start university, and that's where they met. I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think about this because we, we have had this conversation separately in the context of opportunities in Italy generally and the fact that so many young Italians are leaving Italy now to go and seek opportunities in in northern European countries but but more specifically the UK and it's it's just really interesting to talk about how 20-30 years ago the same situation was going on but the divide was southern Italy and northern Italy whereas now it's sort of more of a sort of continent-wide divide yeah exactly so what makes this region stand out from the other beautiful beautiful regions that you can find along that mediterranean coast i think it's the variety of things it offers for example we have so many different landscapes because it's a long it's a long region so if you go from the north to the south you're gonna see so many different landscapes. Um, we got amaz- amazing beaches in the south, and um, we got like many different crops, like wheat crops, uh, little hills. So it's it's variety, not only the landscapes but the variety of the culture. Like if you if you visit um, different towns, they're all gonna look different the personality of the people is going to be different so it's just like traveling a country but in a a smaller scale so you would say that there's so much diversity in the region that that it does very much stand out in that regard yeah exactly when you have to choose a place to to travel to i think puya is a very convenient one you just choose a region and it's like traveling a whole country. And it's quite interesting actually that that you talk about Italy in this uh, context um, because 
as the history buffs among the listeners will know, Italy as a whole was once many different kingdoms. And uh, this area obviously has a very complicated history around that as well. And even nowadays when, I mean, certainly me as a, as a football fan, when people talk about Italian teams and they talk about Italy in general, they very much talk about it in the context of the region and yeah. um, what the individual sort of culinary and cultural identities of that region really represent. And I guess the question I'm asking is, when you are there, particularly as somebody who didn't necessarily grow up there yourself, is that something that you feel? Or is there more of a sense of actually the whole region is Italian and feels Italian? Mm, It is true. When you travel to different regions in Italy, you it's like you enter a new country basically it, you feel this difference of the because um, in history we had little different kingdoms you feel this difference even nowadays where pe- where it's so easy to travel and easy to get influenced by other places um yes in puya for sure when you go to puya you see different customs uh, even different dialects, <laughs> well, you sometimes you can't understand people. Well, most of the time, if they do speak their dialect, you can't understand them. So it's really interesting. It's like, even though you're in the same country, uh, it does feel like a, a different country. And how, without going too far down this road, how does that translate politically? Mm-hmm. So, so for example, I, w- I'm recording this um, in Scotland, and obviously Scotland has a very distinct uh, cultural identity that's very separate from sort of the rest of Britain. Um, I just read on the news this morning that uh, the Catalonian separatist uh, leaders who led the illegal referendum in 2017 have been given jail time. Would you say that there is a sort of separatist movement around some of the regions. I mean, obviously there's the Northern League who would like to see Northern Italy become its own separate nation, but is that something that translates into regions like Puglia or not so much? Uh, Puglia in specific, n- no, we don't have any particular um, like feeling like that. Uh, we do have some regions that ask for independence and they are called um, special regions, like Sardinia, um, uh, Aosta Valley, and Trentino. But Puglia specifically, mm, no, mm, it's not like that. And those regions that are asking for independence, what has the, what has the general sort of response from the central government been? Has it been we will entertain this idea of you going independent or like, uh, for example, in uh, Strasbourg, because Alsace-Lorraine has its own separate cultural identity, in order to stop there being a conversation about independence, they are given certain devolved uh, sort of special uh, privileges that other regions in France aren't. Is there something similar that happens in Italy? Yes, they are given um, 
kind of independence in the way they um, they manage their region. Like they have their uh, own rules, um, so they can apply their own their own um, their own rules. Basically, they have some special rules that are different from the rest of Italy. They have they uh, have their sort of own smaller government, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. So they they did find a deal. There's not much uh, drama around it because they de- they did find a deal, so they can manage their own region, kind of their own way. Right. So they're both happy about this. Yeah. No, that I'm just. I find it I find it quite interesting that there is a sense of sort of uh, not peace regarding it exactly, but a sense of we acknowledge that we are different from the wider country and we can celebrate our cultural difference without necessarily that needing to translate into us being an independent nation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find that quite interesting. Um, as you mentioned, you are a filmmaker and many of the films that can be found on your YouTube channel capture the beautiful essence of a place. So um, if you go to Julia's YouTube page, which we will leave a link to in the podcast description, you can look at the places that get filmed and you can really feel like you are there and that you are part of the atmosphere and the energy that is being caught uh, on camera and again that follows on from Julia following the lovely tradition of being an it- a great Italian filmmaker but to kind of move towards how Puglia comes into that would you say that there has been a way in which that area and that landscape and that beauty and that heritage has inspired the work that you do in some way? I think Puglia has um made me appreciate the simple things, the authenticity of things, because it's a very, uh, it's, it's quite a poor and simple country, like customs are very simple. So it made me appreciate simple stuff. Um, so when I travel, I like to capture the authenticity of places. That's what makes me um, interested. And that's what I want people to see, not like the fairy tales and stuff. I just want people to put their feet on the place and just admire the the authentic things of the, the places I visit. So I think that's it. <laughs> Would you say that in general that is a a cultural thing that not necessarily belongs to Italians, but that is certainly to me as a foreigner seems to be one of the proud elements of being Italian is the sense of we care about the beauty and the quality and, as you say, the authenticity of things like a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if you think about uh, Italian cinema, one of the main um, movements was neorealism. So we do, in history, we do have this attachment to realism to authentic things we want we just want to show real life i think that's it also when we talk about food we talk about real food we eat real food that's like a common phrase that italians say um so i think that's 
realism aspect is really is really important to us. No, don't ask me why. I don't know. <laughs> it's an important cultural identity to have. Um, I should at this point mention uh, to the listeners that Julie and I have been friends for about five years now and uh, I once came to visit her at university in Bournemouth and I discovered, well, there were two really amazing things that happened during this trip. The first thing that happened was that in uh, going through the stuff that was in her room, we found that, well, I found, she obviously knew about this, that among the many things she brought from Italy as a sort of, this is an important thing to have, was uh, Italian car for dishwashing liquid, which gave me no end of amusement. Um, and then also she had brought, and this is amazing, like this massive tin of pure, amazing, brilliant, lick your fingers, Italian olive oil. And one of the things I did to be helpful was hold the funnel as we literally took this tin and poured it into a, a bottle so that it could be sort of decanted and used for the future. Um, do, you, do you want to tell the story about the biscuits in this context or shall I? Oh my God. <laughs> so, um, I don't know what to say, but it's, it's one of my, when I moved to the UK, it was one of my priorities to have my, my food, my real food. <laughs> Particularly in the UK where we really don't care about the quality of good food. <laughs> yeah, it was one of my priorities. In fact, I did fill a whole suitcase with uh, food, <laughs> Italian food and some tools to cook. <laughs> But the biscuits, and tell them about the biscuits. The biscuits, yes. So my first year at university, I, I brought from home, a, I think, a couple of packages of biscuits. And um, I fell in love with them. And I couldn't find any decent biscuits in the UK. Like, I couldn't at all. Um, <laughs> so I did my research online and I found out that I could find my biscuits in London so I went to London um, just for the biscuits basically and to see Finn as well <laughs> and I asked Finn to come with me to get the biscuits little did I know that this place was a warehouse of Italian products <laughs> so we literally entered a warehouse full of it was like heaven for me <laughs> and i found my biscuits and i was really really happy uh, for those of you who know london the warehouse was in park royal so sort of in the general harrow area and in order to get there we literally got on that arm of the piccadilly line that no one uses that goes from about acton town all the way up to uxbridge and yeah it was it, i mean beautiful experience all round but yes this amazing this warehouse really amazingly genuinely had every kind of italian thing you could imagine including good old italian dishwashing liquid because apparently none of you trust our ability to clean things properly i totally recommend that warehouse you should definitely check it out oh what was it called it was called like italia or something like that like yeah, something just kind of ridiculously tongue-in-cheek 
the Italian biscuits are amazing. <laughs> you should try them. What type of the biscuits mul- were they, just for people who are interested to... Um, the brand is Mulino Bianco. Okay, well, you heard it here first. Go get your Italian biscuits so good we would go out to Harrow again for them. Exactly. Um, to go back to, to the kind of small discussion we were having on, on Italian cinema and this concept of neo-realism, for those of us who aren't massive film buffs in the listening audience, what exactly does that mean? Um, so the Italian realism uh, was born in the after-war period. Um, mm-hmm. To reflect the um, different situ- the difficult situation of the um, the the lower class um, population of Italy, because the lower class was um, was not was um, rarely shown on the big screen. So this movement um, was born to show the reality of the um, the lower class life in Italy. And, and um, yeah, it did. Um, it did focus on, um, like, for example, one of the main characters was to have um, long, long shots. So not like close-ups and stuff like that. Long shots to show all of the, um, to fill the screen with real stuff, basically. You know, when you do have close-ups. If you want the audience to focus on a particular thing, like an expression or an object, with long shots, um, the the audience was free to see what they wanted to see, just to see reality, basically. And it's interesting that that you say that actually, because one of uh, my favorite current Italian filmmakers is uh, Paolo Sorrentino, and Loro came out in the UK a couple of months ago. And the thing is, whatever your kind of perspective on film is, whether, you know, Italian films that kind of look at uh, people like Berlusconi in a, in a surreal way, like the extent to which that is your thing obviously differs from person to person. What you certainly can't deny is the reality and the vibrancy of all of it. Yeah, yeah, as I said, with the reality aspect, we're really close to... I think it's what I would say Italy's very good at in general is just taking things that are real and making them so beautiful. Yeah, I think so. We we just focus on real stuff. We we don't get distracted by <laughs> fake stuff, basically, in simple words. As we've discussed throughout the first uh, bit of this conversation. Italian is a very unique language in that it has many different dialects and accents and sounds and ways of saying things. Tell me how different Puglian Italian is to the rest of Italian and how the difference in understanding it is comparative on an international level. But do the first part first and then we'll come back to part two of that. So, so every region has their own dialect. Puyan, uh, basically, there's not a Puyan. <laughs> if you go to north of Puya, they have their own dialect. 
if you get to the center, your own dad like tests no your way. Own Yeah, actually, basically every city has their own dialect. No. Yeah. Hang on, true. hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Really? In Puya, yes, <laughs> they're similar, but they're kind of they're a little bit different. It's very interesting. Yeah. So, so why exactly is that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mm, I don't know. Why, why is that that every region has their own dialect? But it's not, it's not just every region, because if it were a regional thing, you know, there, there are many different languages. I have, I have Ukrainian friends who tell me about the different dialects of Ukrainian and how that fits together. But it tends to be a regional thing that tends to be a, oh, this is the history of this region, and this links back to this, links to this, links to this. Okay, this makes sense. But if you're saying from town to town, there are entirely different dialects of Italian. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, not entirely. It's the um, the accent is different. Oh, it's the accent. Yeah, sorry. So every region has their own dialect. Um, uh, but if you go from one town to the other, similar dialect, but um, different accent. But sometimes the dialect is different. I don't know. I think that's because in the past people just didn't travel a lot. They just stayed in one place. So every little town grew their own uh, dialect and costumes and stuff like that maybe that's why i mean my mind is boggling trying to process <laughs> all of that um and so to to put that into a sort of comparative place where it could be understood would you say that the difference between speaking to somebody in italian in that region you know taking accents out of the picture for a moment is a little bit like speaking somebody in England and somebody in Scotland, where the base of the language is pretty much the same, but from time to time the pronunciation of something or the way that a word is said can be slightly different? Or would you say that it's almost like an entirely different language? Mm. If we're talking about um, Italy, like... like um, Milan and Puglia, uh, that's an entirely different language. <laughs> really? But if we talk about only Puglia, maybe um, Scottish people were the people of the north of Puglia and people from the UK, uh, the south of Puglia. So the, the, um, the base of the dialect is the same, but it's, it's quite different how it sounds. Does that not get really complicated for people to communicate with each other? So people are bilingual. No. They, can, they speak their dialect and they speak Italian. Uh... Hang on, so, but are you still saying that the dialect is just about such a way where if you're from the north of Puglia and you had family in the south, that you could still communicate with each other? 
if you speak Italian, yes. If you speak Italian, but not if you spoke the separate dialect. It might be hard to understand, maybe. I would put it this way. Goodness me. And so if you're, say, your family, your extended family most of the time, will they speak Italian in order to be understood better by everybody? Or will they speak Prulian because that's what they grew up on and that's the region's method of communication? Um, it, when people kind of mix the two um, in a fun way. Like people definitely just mix the two. Um, so, for example, when I have, when I'm with my family, with my grandma, specifically, and uh, we, we're having lunch and we're talking. Um, sometimes my grandma and my dad, um, they just throw out random dialect words. <laughs> and my sister and I are like, what does that mean? <laughs> and sometimes they can't even translate it because it's so specific. <laughs> and they grew up with those words that they can't even translate them uh, in Italian. No way. Ah, that's so complicated. But I think, I think it's mostly older people and um, and teenagers that speak uh, the dialect. Teenagers just to I don't know to have fun or I don't know why to be honest. But, um, <laughs> older people, it's because they actually grew up on in in that language with that language. And so would you say with generations, new generations coming in, the ability to connect with other people and to connect uh, with people in different parts of the country becoming more of a thing, would you say that those dialects perhaps are, are dying in order to make way for Italian more generally and more widely being the sort of not globalized because obviously it's within a region, but kind of accepted language that everybody just speaks. Mm. I think most of the regions still keep uh, their dialects. Um, it does not affect in any way uh, the way that people learn Italian. Everyone can speak Italian for sure, but they like to keep the, their dialects just to feel closer to the, their culture and, um, yeah, basically to feel closer to their, their culture. Right, but I'm just, and again, maybe I'm, I'm completely missing the point here. I'm trying to figure out the exact extent to which if the only people who are really speaking them are teenagers and the elderly, at what point are people sort of learning it because it sounds like it's not quite a completely separate language but but almost and i'm thinking well if that's the case is it that you know people who are parents know the dialect but just don't speak it or that they do know the dialect and can't be bothered to speak it like what what exactly is the reason behind that demographic being the ones who speak it i think uh people learn the dialect um well through family Sometimes in, in the family, um, the parents speak in the dialect. So the kids pick up on that and, um, and they like to, 
to share with their friends, basically. Um, but then, obviously, adults in the workplace, they uh, to, to, to look professional, they can't speak the dialect. Oh. So, yeah. So that's another thing. Is... Yeah, it's basically when people speak the dialect to you, it doesn't feel very professional. Very professional. You, you speak it with people you're very close to, so friends and family. That's fascinating. It's almost it's almost a sort of colonial relationship between sort of Italian Italian and the regional dialect behind all the different parts of Italy. Yeah. And this that relationship how does that translate into the big cities? So in in Milan for example, I mean I assume that the region around Milan has its own dialect of some form or another. Is that slightly more accepted in a city like Milan, or is there a sense that because Milan is an international city, that you speak Italian and you speak Italian, and don't be ridiculous? Mm, in big cities, the dialects are completely lost. Basically. Really? Yeah. So you in would... Milan, uh, I'd say, I never met, well, actually, yeah, one time, I met some older people speaking the dialect, but it's, I would say it's completely lost. I Younger mean, generations don't know the dialect. I mean, how do you feel about that? Mm, I wouldn't know because mm, I don't feel Milanese, so I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, in Milan, it's really, really hard to find a person that is actually from Milan because. The majority is people from the rest of the country. So, I guess the reason so, I ask yeah. is, it it seems to me, and again, in in the UK, we don't really have dialects. I mean, Geordie is sort of a dialect. Scot, you know, Scots is sort of a dialect. But we, you know, we don't really the way that that our sort of regional identities are expressed. Is slightly is slightly different. We don't we don't have a sort of language way of expressing that. But what I can imagine if we did, and if we got to this point where more and more those languages were sort of being ignored in favour of English, that there would certainly be a movement towards an idea that you know that sort of real England was losing its its identity. And I guess as a young person living in one of the big cities, that may necessarily not quite matter as much, but do you feel like there is a sense of what is considered to be the real Italy and the real Italian identity might perhaps be dying almost? Mm. I don't know what the real Italian identity is because every region has their own. So it's hard to... Hard to answer this question. As I think as long as all the regions keep their customs, their dialects, I think that's that's the Italian identity, this diversity. So to keep this diversity, um, as long as we keep it, that's how we we keep our Italian identity. It's just really interesting to think because with. I mean, more and more, particularly in this conversation, I'm, I'm beginning to understand the exact extent to which 
every region is just so different and it really is like you go into a different region it's almost like going into another country does that therefore make it quite problematic when people refer to uh when people refer to this concept of italian as this sort of wider overarching thing when in actual fact someone who lives in uh, milan is entirely different culturally from someone who lives in Puglia. Yes, when people, when um, foreign people talk about Italian, like, uh, this is very Italian, this is very like that, uh, we can't really, we don't even really understand what, what they actually mean, because they know uh, what Italy is through movies, um, mostly Hollywood movies. Um, so it's it's a very it's a tiny part of Italy. It's um, so when they refer to you as Italian, uh, we as Italians know that um, you're referring to what we are um, to how we're portray portrayed outside <laughs> of Italy. <laughs> we know that's not really what Italian means. So Italian sort of Italian cultural identity almost feels like it's playing up to the stereotype at different points. Yeah, for sure. But what does that mean? I mean, again, I hate to foray into politics again, but Italy is one of the only countries in Europe to have a member of the sort of governing party who does uh, belong, if not to the far right, certainly to the centre-right, and obviously has... Uh, have acquired the reputation that they have off the back of this sense of we need to take our country back, which is always at the heart of these sort of uh, right-wing movements. If what you're saying is that what Italian is is really sort of playing to the stereotype, playing to the idea of what foreigners see as Italian, then how is it that somehow a movement like this can be so successful if there is a clear uh, idea that um, what is considered part of your identity in one region is completely different from what it is in another region. Mm. Let me think about this. <laughs> well, we do have a lot of political problems. And that's also because of the variety of thoughts of people around Italy. I think um, maybe like in Brexit case, um, this party has uh, had a lot of success because of the, um, the issues we have with immigrants. So to avoid these problems with immigrants uh, taking the place, taking the workplace of Italians, um, that's how this party had success basically but that they but they had that success even though everybody in the country struggles with feeling like they are all unified under one nation mm, yes mm, maybe when when Italy feels threatened by uh, foreigners by foreign country that's when they unify that's fascinating. 
it's almost like under under threat they will come together but but sort of only under those circumstances exactly yeah. which feels slightly ironic because in the context of the wider europe it almost feels like the opposite is happening is that under threat everyone is taking their own piece of it and and saying this is mine now um but again that is for an entirely different podcast um and for those of you who aren't interested in the politics and thoughts behind different dialects and identities and what that means, we've talked your ear off, so I'm moving forward. Um, in doing my research for today's uh, podcast, I came across the region's uh, unemployment rate, which is higher than the national average. Um, I ask because in the UK, some of our most economically impoverished places are our seaside towns and to give a very quick history lesson a large reason reason for that is because there used to be where people went and holidayed and then suddenly they stopped being that because budget airlines came in and it was just as cheap to go to spain as it was to go to bogner regis for example um and so consequently those seaside towns suffered but obviously it is different in much of Europe where you actually get good weather and decent beaches. Does the region feel specifically like a tourist destination? And then what effect does this have on the people who actually live in the region? Mm. In Puya, the main um, economical um, sources are tourism, especially na national tourism, uh, national tourists, so Italian tourists, and uh, farming. So, um, the region is quite impoverished compared to other regions in Italy. Um, that's because we have a very, um, very close connection to, to farming. Basically, a lot of people are still farmers. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm first of all asking, does the region feel specifically like a tourist destination? Like, again, it's difficult to know what that means because, you know, where considers themselves exactly like a tourist destination. But I guess, would, would people who live there consider that where they lived was a tourist destination or would they see it as, no, it's still our home, but people just kind of happen to turn up here and we kind of deal with it and then uh what effect does that have on on those people who live there okay so we do have some places that had uh, last year and two years ago, ago had a um, boom in tourism um for example this place where i always go to in the summer called gallipoli had a a boom in Italian tourists and mainly teenagers who wanted to party in summer. Um, so this city, um, the citizens of Gallipoli felt threatened by tourism because it wasn't well managed. So it did um, destroy the beauty of the city. So we do, ha because of um, the difficulty of Puya to manage tourism, some places feel threatened by tourism. Even I, that um, 
that just go to Puya for holidays, I don't want a reason to hit Puya <laughs> because I know that if it's not well managed, it's going to destroy my region. <laughs> so even if I'm not, uh, if I'm, even if, if I don't live there, I feel threatened. So I can't imagine how people living there can feel. However, it is a very good opportunity to um, economically help Puya, but it's got to be well managed for sure. Um, I'm just I'm just processing the part where it seems quite unique as a tourist destination in that you only really have people from Italy who seem to be going there. Do you think that is something that will change in the future with uh, cheap flights now available and Bari Airport uh, growing and growing? That it is something that will happen more, or do you think that there are enough tourist destinations in other parts of? southern europe that that's not something that's going to happen i am pretty sure it is gonna happen i'm afraid i also saw an article that called puya the most beautiful region in the world so people are gonna find out and through the help of instagram people are gonna find out i'm afraid you were just looking at that and i can be like we know but shut up yeah exactly don't tell people i'm telling you but don't tell people <laughs> this is my secret <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting to see to hear what you're saying about the part where it's growing as a tourist destination and yet economically it doesn't seem like the region is improving ridiculously do you think that's because this is a transition that needs to take place where people will gradually go from being farmers towards working in the tourism industry more or do you think that it's a sort of generational divide and that I, what, what do you think is behind it basically um i think with the older generation behind um they they struggle to move from um just farming culture to a tourism tourism culture but with the newer generation coming in that, that is probably going to change people are going to realize that tourism will help them so uh if i had to bet i would bet that it's going to grow a lot uh, in terms of tourism and as you say well as you kind of said does that worry you and if so why does it worry you it does worry me for sure <laughs> because i i know it's not gonna be handled very well <laughs> um puya is made out of like simple things just um looking at the landscapes uh appreciating the the beaches so if these natural things are uh, are ruined it's going to just destroy the beauty of it. <laughs> and obviously the trade-off is between the, the natural beauty growing versus people in the region being better off. I mean, again, I, I don't want to feel like I'm putting you in a sort of you have to choose one or the other. But if some, you know, I, I don't know if you have cousins who are, who are working in the region, but if 
the option was ultimately between those between your family being better off and being in a more economically prosperous place and having more opportunities versus not having those opportunities but the region is still protected i mean again i certainly know what the general attitude in the uk would be towards a, a dilemma like that what is the italian attitude to it generally and is that also yours as well mm. so if i had to choose um i would say that there are ways you can um, you can Im improve tourism in a responsible way. So right. if uh, if they manage to do it responsibly um, and respecting the culture, respecting the environment, for sure, I would love I would love for it to happen because it's gonna help a lot the region and their people. Um. And with that in mind, I should get to uh, the question I've certainly been most excited to ask as a food lover, which is that mm. Italy is my favorite uh, world cuisine, as is probably the case for many of our listeners. Is the local cuisine of Puglia similar to wider, and I should also say stereotypical, Italian cuisine, or is it very different? Um... Um, the main, I would say, the main ingredients of Puglia are olive oils because we have a lot of um, olive tree crops and wheat because we have many wheat crops. So the typical typical food from Puglia is pasta, bread, and they're all accompanied by olive oil. Basically, it's very simple food. Just just aglio olio. Also, I, uh, yeah. No, but I, I, what I'm asking is, is it just olive oil that goes in this pasta or is there anything no, no, else? No, 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 just mm, olive oil is always there. It's not just <laughs> olive oil, but olive oil is always there. It's a constant. Well, the next question... Yeah, yeah go on. If you ask my, my grandma what's her favorite dish, she's going to tell you spaghetti with aglio e olio. So ah, garlic and olive oil. That is just <laughs> such a classic Italian answer to that question. <laughs> and the funny thing is, the next question I've written down is, does the fact that 40% of Italy's olive oil production take place there affect this? But you've kind of already answered this question. It, it feels like Puglia is a region where people would drink olive oil if it was considered more socially acceptable to do so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness me. Um, but it's interesting, actually, that it is still pasta-based as a culture, because with all the talking that we've done about how uh, different and distinctive the different regions in Italy are, it feels, I don't know, it almost feels slightly strange that actually when it comes to the food side of things, the country is, well, not entirely united, but where it's the same base ingredients. Would would you agree with that? Or is that That's me being true. a foreign bonehead? But uh, if you ask yourself, what's better than pasta and pizza and bread? Uh, it's really hard to answer. So <laughs> I think that's something uh, all Italians can agree on, like, that's the best food you can have, so why not have it? 
<laughs> if only the... I mean, frankly, I would say the same thing in general just about the world is what food is better than pasta and pizza. And if that's true, you got to wonder, maybe the whole world should just become Italian at that point. And we can all be yeah. different regions that all just appreciate that pizza and pasta is better than anything else. Yeah, they just haven't realized it yet. <laughs> Uh, this needs to be the, the, the headline of the podcast. Why the world should get turned Italian. <laughs> or maybe why the world is already part of Italy and the world is just trying to figure it out. Mm. Um, what does the future hold for Puglia? You've, you've kind of said uh, about tourism and how the inevitable rise of tourism and social media is going to affect that. Uh, Bari, um, I don't know the extent to which it is or is not growing as a place. Uh, Lecce obviously, you know, continues to be the, the kind of the tourist destination that it is. What do you think is going to happen over the next few years for the region and the people and the places within it? Mm. Probably it's going to be influenced by by the international uh, international population so it's gonna get more people coming in and basically dilute its culture a little bit um, I hope it's not gonna lose its um, its traits and culture but I don't know that's maybe gonna happen who knows? But are you saying, I mean, again, I guess we're going back to this whole conversation about Prulian identity and, you know, the extent to which that will be protected versus diluted. Do you think when more foreigners turn up that they will turn up in order to live there? Mm, maybe. There is an example in, uh, in Portugal where a lot of old people from... Uh, from the UK, from Italy, they go there to live. <laughs> so it's it's kind of losing its uh, its, um, its culture. It's becoming more international than Portuguese. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it might be the case. People are gonna find its beauty and decide to live there. Also because it's very cheap. So <laughs> why not? Shh! You're not helping anyone. <laughs> Yeah, even my parents are um, considering to retire, just buy a house there and retire in Puglia. Ah, I mean, you know, you could certainly have a worse life, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and I guess, I know it's interesting having this discussion with you because you obviously are very international and you do have a very international background. And even though you are, you know, Italian and based in Italy, that disguises the fact that actually you do have a very multicultural identity does it does the general globalization of the world and specifically of your beloved region does that feel like a positive thing because it's like we're becoming more diverse we're becoming more accepting we're becoming more united with each other or does it feel like actually it's leading towards something where we no longer have any identity that makes us who we are and we're just losing mm. our sense of self. 
what I personally like the most about globalization is the fact that it um, it lets you know, it makes you aware of different cultures. So I think that's the main good thing. Like I through gro globalization, I came to know about so many different cultures which I which I didn't know about. So I think only for this, it's worth it. Um, so if, if when people recognize the importance of cultures, um, I think that's gonna help um, help keep them help support them. So I hope that's going to happen, just make people more aware about cultures and um, help support their existence. So you think even in the context of a sort of smaller, more rural region like Puglia, that, that sense of globalization will ultimately bring benefits to the area? Yeah, actually, um, Culture, it's becoming a marketing trait. Uh, like Passport really, people, ladies today. and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> so it's being, like culture, it's being, it's being used to advertise places. Um, so in some way, it's, it's useful to keep it. <laughs> um. And the sort of one of the last questions I have before I ask you the final question is, you talked about your parents potentially retiring there. Would you ever move there? <laughs> At this age, no, for sure. <laughs> but, but in the future, I don't know, say, uh, say you meet somebody and you want to have a, a family or say you get to an age where you're ready to retire. Like, would you ever? And if so, what would be the circumstances that would bring you back there? So probably when I want to retire, for sure, <laughs> it's the best place to relax and have amazing food and just relax again. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, only, what, 50, 60 more years? What's the going retirement rate in Italy at the moment? Uh, maybe 60. 60, 60 okay. Nine. So, you know, 40 years, just get comfy. You've got that, that nice beach and that nice food and those nice olive, olive trees waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the final question I have, which is the final question I ask all of my guests here on Passport People, what is the thing to do there for anyone who listens to this podcast and fancies a trip? Things to do there. Eat. Eat uh, from all the different towns. And go to the beaches we have amazing waters there just keep clear keep going around <laughs> places keep eating and keep swimming but obviously not all at the same time start from the north go all the way back uh, down to the south and just get lost in all the different towns i mean really that's just an italian thing in general isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i am so jealous of your country <laughs> well, Julia, it has been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you for being on Passport People. Listeners, thank you for listening to the lovely musings of Julia and I. Julia, before I let you go off and continue your wonderful Italian life, how can people find out more about your work? Slash, is there anything you would like to plug? 
So they can check out my YouTube channel where I post all my travels around the world. And uh, I always have a Instagram page for my uh, travels. And you can also see it in the description, which Finn is gonna leave. It's gonna happen. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Julia. Thank you so much for listening and see you all next time. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Passport People. The music was by Harry Bongo and the cover art was by Maya Pires. Learn more about us by visiting our Island Life Productions Facebook page or by visiting our website at islandlifeproductions.com.